Well, you've not too much to worry about, because I'll get tired before you do. <laughs> it, was, it was just a blessing to be here tonight. How many of you would rather be here than in a submarine in the bottom of an ocean that had just sprung a leak? <laughs> well, it's always a blessing when the doors of the house of the Lord open up and you can say, I'm going to walk through those doors. I want to encourage you to get into that lifestyle. It'll change your life. It's a matter of priorities, that's all it is. Just a matter of priorities. Nobody has time to go to church regularly, but everybody has time to go to church regularly. I want to say how nice to see Sharon Rasky. It's been a long, long time. And uh, this is her first time out since two years, I think. And she came out tonight. So glad to have you here, Sharon, and may the Lord bless you. And I could call everybody else by name if I knew it. <clears throat> but we'll just go ahead and just say, so nice to see you back. Hope God will bless you in a wonderful way tonight. We, we talked about Israel as the apple of God's eye first thing this morning, and then well, I talked about the 490 years, and I mentioned to you that they're not yet complete. They're still on the go, although right now that time period is on hold. Uh, there's nothing happening right now in relationship to the 490 years. It's only seven years left of the 490 years, and so we know that they are on hold. There's a postponement of the fulfillment of the 490 years. God's ways are not our ways. His reckonings are not our reckonings. And the way he orchestrates things are not always the way we would do it, but he has a plan and he has a purpose. This evening I want to speak to you about the greatness of the kingdom. If you would turn to Daniel chapter 7 with me, please. Daniel chapter 7. And I'm going to read only one verse, and it's verse 27. Daniel chapter 7, verse 27. And this is what we read in this marvelous word, verse, and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Alva McLean wrote a book. I devoured it some years ago. It's been out for a long time, but you know, some of these books that were written by the giants of study of prophecy are timeless books, and they are valuable books. One of the things I picked up in his book was that there are three essential ingredients that make up for a kingdom. Listen carefully to this because it'll make sense to you. It is the three R's, the essential three R's that make up a kingdom. Number one, there has to be a ruler. Can't have a kingdom without a ruler. Number two, there has to be a realm. That is, there has to be a dominion, a place where the rule takes place. And then thirdly, there has to be a regal function. 
Queen Elizabeth died recently, and her son, who has been waiting a long, long time to become king, became king very quickly after the queen died, which is nothing wrong with that. Uh, but the succession of the queen happened rather quickly, and in order for the king to have a regal function, he has to be inaugurated, he has to be given the authorization to be that position. And so they uh, printed a new coin, and they did all kinds of accolades for him, and now they have a king over there in Great Britain. I don't know what that's going to mean for us at this point, but I want you to think of those three R's when you think of the kingdom, and I have a reason to emphasize that to you. If there is one statement that has come to me many times, and that is that God's kingdom is in my heart, and that's the only kingdom there is. And I want then to ask that same person, then who is the ruler? Then who, where is the realm and where is the regal function? Do you really think that your little life describes the kingdom of God? The reason I mention that is because Daniel chapter 7 and verse 27 says, and the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom. The greatness of the kingdom. It is much bigger than you. It is much bigger than me. It is much bigger than all of us combined. It is much bigger than all of the Christians in the whole world tonight. The greatness of the kingdom is essentially indescribable. It is beyond measure. It is a kingdom so vast that your mind will just not be able to comprehend. My mind cannot comprehend the greatness of the kingdom. So the kingdom in eternity concerning God's kingdom, I want you to think about that just for a moment. The eternal kingdom is characterized by four essential truths. First of all, it is timeless. Think about that. Now, I believe that the unfolding of the prophetic events are this way. You have all of the Old Testament predictions, and most of those predictions had to do with the coming of Christ as the ruler of his kingdom and the Messiah that would rule in his dominion. Then you have the Lord Jesus who comes, and he is rejected by the people that he was coming to specifically. So he was crucified, he was buried, and he rose again, and he went back to the Father in heaven now interceding and now awaiting the day when the father says to him, now it is time to go and to collect your bride. You know, that became a big thing to me just a month ago or so. Uh, it wasn't clear as to whether I'd be able to fly out to Regina or whether I would have to find some way to ride over there because I didn't want to take my car because then we had a dilemma but bringing two cars back, and we didn't want to drive separately. So my big focus was that I'm going to go and get my bride. And I looked forward to going and get my bride, but the semi-arrangement was that my brother-in-law was going to drive me over there in his great big Peterbilt transport truck. And I said, how wonderful this would be if we could take this truck and then get close to Regina and decorate it a little bit, coming for my bride. 
As it was, I could fly, so I told him, we don't need you to do that. But he was willing to do that, and to me it was a big event, because I was going to come and get my bride. So a few days before the wedding, I arrived in Regina, and there was my fiancé, my bride-to-be, and we spent the week organizing, talking, thinking, doing all kinds of things to get things ready. The girls had already worked for months to get it all ready, so I was just there to kind of do a few chores that needed to be done. But then came the wedding, and then came the beginning of the honeymoon, which continues on. But I came to get my bride. You know what? From my perspective, that was an exciting time. What do you think God feels like when he thinks in terms of saying to his son, Jesus Christ, now it is time to go and to get your bride? I think God's excited about that. And it's possible. I don't know the probability, but possibility is there that before we're done preaching tonight, that he will have come in the clouds of the air and to take us out of here. You okay with that? Absolutely, we're okay with that. We believe in the imminence of the rapture, the imminence of the uh, secret coming of the Lord Jesus in the clouds of the air to take the church home. There is not one single sign required for the rapture. But the signs have been so, so vastly and intricately fulfilled that you would think that the rapture should have happened already. But not quite yet. They're not all. And so there are no signs. The rapture can happen today and then let the things come together as they will. So I just want you to realize that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, is timeless. It is also universal. Uh, there are no land borders in the kingdom of God. It is providential. It is miraculous, nothing short of a miracle when you think about the vastness and the greatness of the kingdom of God. It is no small thing. When you entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you signed up for the greatest event that could ever happen to mankind. If you had won a ticket to fly to the moon and back without cost to you, it would be pretty exciting, unless you're scared of heights. But it would be pretty exciting if you had won that. But I want you to know something. You got a ticket that is worth far more than flying to the moon and back without cost to you. It cost him everything, but you've got a ticket to be able to go into the glories and into the vastness of the kingdom of God because of Jesus Christ. Don't think that I'm only a Christian. You are a Christian. Don't think that I have to give up this, this, and this to walk with the Lord. I get to give up all these things to walk with the Lord. There's something very special about this relationship that we have with the one who came into the world to redeem us from our sins and to give us life eternal. So this idea of the great, great kingdom that is there is no less than miraculous. I want you to think about the kingdom on earth, the pre-Abrahamic. It was a kingdom 
Now, it had already had rivalry because in the atmosphere, there was one Lucifer that came up to the Lord God of heaven and said, I will be like you. See, he doesn't have to be above him to be satanic. He only has to be like him in his goals to make himself equal to God. And there is no created being. Lucifer is a created being, and there is no created being that has a legitimate claim to be equal to God. But we're living in a world where people not only think they're equal to God, but we're living in a world where people believe that they are superior, that God and all of his following that is just a small little non-issue. Well, I want you to know that the kingdom of God is much, much greater than that. In the Abrahamic, the pre-Abrahamic days, there was the time of innocence. I call it the dispensation of innocence. Uh, but it's a time of innocence where you had Adam and Eve. And I don't need to elaborate on that. You probably know the story of Adam and Eve quite well. But it was here where you have only God and you have two people. So who else is there? You have a ruler, you have a realm, and you have a regal function. You have the Lord God who is actually leading in this kingdom concept. It was huge in the sense of what it provided. It was small in the sense of participants. You have the dispensations of conscience, of human government, of the patriarchs. And in all of these times in the Old Testament, you had the sovereign Lord God operating as the king over his people. So I just want you to realize that as humanity grew and as numbers began to multiply, there was still a God ruling over, although this was not the kingdom that would be, but it was a kingdom in the sense that God ruled over men. The kingdom program in Israel... That's the one we've been speaking about today, and I want you to notice that that is irrevocable. It is a kingdom program that will take place, and I want you to think about this. There is, uh, so far, there has not been a king in Israel since Zedekiah's day. Uh, there have been prime ministers, and there have been leaders of the nation, obviously, but there has not been a king, someone who was actually qualified to be a king the next king over Israel will be called Jesus the Christ. There is no other king that will rule on the kingdom of Israel, the greatness of the kingdom, except for him. And when he does, he will be known as the king of kings and as the Lord of lords. So in the kingdom program for Israel, as we mentioned this morning, there was the Abrahamic covenant See, in Genesis 15 and verse 18, in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, just think about this. This is what God gave to them in his covenant. Man has had a hard time cooperating with God's orders. Man's had a hard time obeying God's orders because from the great river of Egypt all the way over to the river Euphrates, that's the landmass that they were supposed to have from basically the south and over to the east. 
but uh, some of it is now occupied by Arab people. There was the Davidic covenant, or the covenant that God made with King David in 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14 through 16. Listen carefully to these words. I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commit iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the stripes of the children of men. But my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. The covenant made with King David was that the throne would be there. Now, that would not have been a real huge issue if, in fact, the kingdom of heaven had been inaugurated when Jesus Christ was here 2,000 years ago. But what happened for 2,000 years now when Israel has not had a king nor a throne to, to sit on? So for 2,000 years, this is why Bible prophecy teachers over the years have emphasized the parenthesis period. The parenthesis period is when Jesus said to his disciples, I will build my church. He did not build his church in order that it might be Israel. He built his church in order that it might be the church. That's why he built it. Remember the Bible talks about the Jew, the Gentile, and the church of God. God was going to make for himself a very special group of people, which would be called the bride. And he would assume that bride to himself someday to have us as a part of that to be forever with him in his kingdom to rule and to reign together with him. The church and Israel are not the same thing. And when somebody tells you that you're only uh, that, that, that if you are saved, you are Israel. No, you're not Israel if you're saved. If you're saved, you're a Christian. If you're saved, you belong to Jesus Christ. So then who are the true Israelites? The true Israelites are those who have the faith of Abraham, but are a part of the Hebrew and a part of the Israeli situation. But so the answer to this is very simply this that the postponement, as I mentioned, the parenthesis of the church, the postponement of the kingdom, so that there would be a time known only to God, and so far it's lasted for approximately 2,000 years, but that time will come to an end, and then following the seven years of horrific tribulation on the earth, the kingdom promised to David, the throne promised to David, will somehow be resurrected. Just like the Ark of the Covenant will be found, so this throne will be found, and it will be established in the city of, of David, Jerusalem. That day is coming. There was the Palestinian Covenant, and I'm not going to read this for you. That's Deuteronomy chapter 28 through chapter 30. So if you want to know about the Land Covenant, the, what is called the Palestinian Covenant, you can read those chapters but I do want to read the New Covenant for you, and the New Covenant is Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. 
And again, I want to say to you, when you read the new covenant in Jeremiah chapter 31, that is not a covenant with the church. Do we get that? That is the covenant with Israel. And he said this, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant with the house of? Jeremiah 31, verse 31, I will make a covenant with the house of Israel. You see, he didn't say that I will make this new covenant with my church. He said, I'm going to make this new covenant with Israel and with the house of Judah. Now, if that doesn't explain it for my simple mind, then something is wrong because I'm reading here that this covenant is made with the north and south of Israel. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law into their inward parts and write it in their hearts, and, it, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they <coughs> excuse me, shall all know me, for the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will give, forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the new covenant that will be given to the nation of Israel when the kingdom era comes on earth. When does the kingdom come? I've got a date for you. Do you like date setting when you have a prophecy conference? Do you like that, preacher? I've got a date for you. It'll start approximately seven years after the rapture. When's the rapture? Don't know. But you get seven years, and then you get some cleanup days, according to Daniel chapter 12, and when the cleanup days have taken place so that the war materials of the Russian and the Iranian and the uh, Ethiopian, the Sudanese, when, when all of these weapons are destroyed on the mountains of Israel, they will burn for seven years, the scripture tell us. So somewhere it has to be at the beginning of the tribulation so that there's a seven-year period because you're not going to have rubbish burning in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God. There has to be the cleaning up of the carnage that takes place. And the book of the Revelation tells us that there will be vultures galore that are going to come and have a banquet like they've never had before. Kings and great men, small men, people alike, at the carnage, at the end of the tribulation. And so the cleanup will take place. When the cleanup has taken place, the kingdom of God is inaugurated and becomes functional. And when it becomes functional, the covenant with Israel will be found to be true, according to Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. This covenant is a covenant where he says that I will give you a heart, a new heart, you can read that in Ezekiel chapters 36 and 37 where you have the dry bones that come forth out of the grave and God gives to them a new heart and he gives them breath so that they are revived and they are, that's of course the people who are dead in Israel, but they will come back to life. That's not the church resurrection, that's the resurrection of Israel and they will come under this covenant and no man 
will teach any more his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for we sh- they shall know him. The kingdom that will be finally concluded will in fact present a knowledge of the Lord like Israel has never had, like no one in the world has ever had. They will know the Lord. And so when they see King Jesus, and obviously they will see the servants of King Jesus, that's us reigning together with him, they will know who this is, and they'll not be afraid because there will be an interaction. There will be a connection, as we heard much about that word today. There will be connection there because... We will be serving the Lord together as he shepherds and superintends the nation of Israel with a rod of iron. Now, what does that mean? It means he'll crack the whip and they will no longer become rebellious. And this is the amazing thing about the kingdom on earth. So the kingdom in the present age is what I had mentioned earlier is that parenthesis. The kingdom had been offered, but it was rejected by Israel. The church operating under the authority of the king, all power or all authority is given unto me, go ye therefore. The church mission is exactly what you heard here tonight in the preamble to this when we worshiped together and heard the report. The church mission is to go into all the world and to preach the gospel to every creature and to bring the message of salvation to the world, that is the church's primary function. And so that's what the church is to do. The church is not a kingdom, it is a missionary work. So just think about this, that this church is a mission church. Its mandate is to be missionary. Its mandate is to go and to bring the gospel to the needy one way or the other. So that's what the church is to do. The church is not Israel's replacement. Some of you may have heard about replacement theology. Uh, it's, it, it's, it's gaining in popularity. I read a statistic this last week that approximately 60 or 60 plus percent of evangelical thinking Christians believe that Israel is finished and that the church has taken the place of Israel. Well, if you've been listening to everything about the greatness of the kingdom tonight, you would have to know that the church replacing Israel does not fit the Bible. It's an imaginary idea. It is the thought of some minds. It is not exegesis. If you study the scripture, you come up with truth. If you're going to just philosophize and come to some very unique new ideas, you'll come up with really great new ideas, but they may never be proven by the scripture. So the church being the replacement of Israel defies everything that the Bible says about the church, and it defies everything the Bible says about Israel. So if it's contrary to what the scripture says about the church, if it's contrary to what the, what the scripture says about Israel, then why would we believe such nonsense as the replacement theology? Replacement theology is such a big subject, and I don't intend to get into that tonight, but I do want you to know this that it is one of the most dangerous things for Israel that can happen today. Replacement theology paves the way for anti-Semitism like very few things do. 
It has been my contention for the last 15 or 20 years with a brand new wave coming into the churches and changing everything about the church has ever been that it will become the greatest catalyst to accommodate anti-Israel, anti-Semite attitudes and it will accommodate the Antichrist system. I'm not saying the evangelical movement is Antichrist. I was saying that this concept of replacement can be so dangerous that it can be so harmful for Israel. Think about Martin Luther back in his day. He saw that the Jews were abused. They were maligned. They were ill-treated. And he had sympathy for the Jews. Being a newfounded leader as he was, he was not so popular within Rome, but he was becoming more and more popular with the people in Germany. And he was building a ministry. It was a theological ministry, no, no doubt. He had the depth of knowledge that very few professors have. And he was very positive that he could reach out to the Jews and make them become a part of what would become Lutheranism. Well, I guess maybe he didn't know a Jew because you will not have a Jew become a part of an evangelical system unless he is thoroughly born again by the Spirit of God. You're not going to annex them. You're not going to get them to become a part of. You're not going to get the Orthodox Jews especially to come and take a part here at Bethel Baptist Church and make them at one with you. It'll never work. It just it just doesn't. It's just like oil and water. It just doesn't work that way. And so this is the kind of thing that replacement theology seems to indicate. And Martin Luther, after he discovered that the Jewish people are going to resist everything that he brought to their attention and every invitation he gave to them, turned upon the Jews with such anger and such vindictiveness that you wonder about the heart of Martin Luther. He actually wrote and preached, if you see a Jew somewhere, don't do business with him. If he wants to come in the store, don't let him come in. If he wants to do business with you, you don't do any business with him. You leave the Jew, you, you, in fact, don't do anything with him whatsoever. Listen, folks, how can a person who is a Christian turn so quickly upon the Jewish people? But he did because they wouldn't join his movement. I say to you, the Jews won't join our movement, not as the nation of Israel. They won't join our movement. They will be Israel until the kingdom comes. They're not going to change that. I thank God for every individual Jew that gets saved. I thank God for every Jewish family that gets saved. And they come into Bible-believing Baptist churches. I'm thankful for that. But you will not have Israel as a nation become a part of anything like that. The nation uh, representing that particular belief of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the covenants that God made with them, they will not, they will not sell that out. They're going to maintain that and they're going to hold on to that. And so the replacement idea that they are gone, not biblical, the church replaces them, not biblical, the church will be the church until the rapture. Do you know that? Our work is done when the trumpet sounds. 
and we shall meet the Lord in the air, and we shall forever be with the Lord. That's when the church ends. Israel does not end there. In fact, it is at that point where Israel, again, the, the time, the 490 years kick in at that particular juncture, and you have the last seven years of the 490 years. Remember that 483 were fulfilled when Christ died. You have the seven years remaining, and they will be that seven-year unprecedented tribulation upon the earth. Revelation chapters 6 all the way through chapter 19 describe that. I would not have the time to even begin to go there. But I just want you to know that when you look at chapter 6 through 19 in the book of the Revelation, you have nothing but war and hurt and killing and bloodshed. And Jesus said it would never be anything like that on the earth except for that period of time. And that Israel is looking to face that. Church is not looking to face that. We are not appointed unto wrath. We are appointed unto mercy. Does that mean we'll get no discipline or punishment? We'll get discipline or punishment. Judgment must begin at the house of God. So there will be discipline for the Christian for wrongdoing, but the wrath of God is something that comes upon an unbelieving world, and it is that wrath of God poured out upon the nation of Israel and the appearance of our Lord, the King of Kings, Jesus Christ, who comes in the air, and every eye shall behold him, it is at that point where Israel will say, that is the Messiah. It is at that point where they bow the knee, and every eye shall see him, and they shall weep because of him, because they see the glorious King of Kings coming for them, and now they will be entering into a kingdom era that literally has no end. However, there is an earthly component to it, and that earthly component is that it is a thousand years. A thousand years where Satan is bound, a thousand years where the tempter cannot tempt any of us, and it will be, in fact, a kingdom that is characterized with many wonderful things. The kingdom to come is characterized by worldwide justice. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. There will be unprecedented peace, and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares. If you could imagine all of the ammunition in the world, you now see Putin with his nuclear devices and with his great military force camp, just championing his military force on the streets of Russia so the people might see that he still has might and power. You may take all of that and you see it turn into farming equipment. When that happens, folks, you will be in a kingdom. But that's not happening today. There will be fullness of joy. I want to tell you a little personal story that I like to share, especially with my fellow pastors, and sometimes I just do it in private, but I just feel like I should just share it with you a little bit tonight. I think I have a little bit of time. pastor said I could preach till midnight, so uh, don't worry, I'll be asleep before then. But 
In 2013, I had a reaction to a diabetic medication which took the doctors to the hospital about four or five weeks to determine what it was. And so while uh, continuing to give the medication and continue to examine, my system broke down more and more. My liver pretty much shut down. My kidneys pretty much shut down. My heart was compromised. In fact, they had to restart it five times. They had to do the all kinds of fancy things they do to make you jump in your bed. And uh, it, was, it was really, really uh, touch and go. And, of course, I was not too aware. But the doctors met with my family, and they said to my family, prepare yourselves because he's going to die one of these nights. He's not going to survive this. We, we don't see any hope for survival. And so my family just more or less just, just wondered, you know, what's going to happen now. And then I don't know how the time factor plays here, but sometime after all of that restarting of the heart and all that stuff, I was laying in my hospital bed, and all of a sudden everything became just deathly silent. I mean silent. I couldn't hear anything. You could have heard a pin drop, but I didn't even hear that. Connected to that silence, there was a joy that came into my heart. If you would have walked into that hospital room at that time, I'm sure I would have laid back there with the biggest smile on my face. I don't know. I didn't see anything. When I tell this story, some people say, did you see a light? I said, no. I only saw a light when they turned the lights on afterwards. Do you, do you know that when you are in a coma or when you get into an accident or when you are passed out and something like that, do you know the doctors take a light and flash it all over your eyes? You knew that, right? So the people say, but I saw a light. Yeah, you might have seen the flashlight. I didn't see any light. That just to, saddle, just to satisfy the curious mind. I don't know how long this went on. I'm sure it was only minutes. And then all of a sudden, I heard the sounds of the equipment and the hospital noise come back. And I looked around and I said, hmm, that's interesting. And I said to my pastor friends and to Christian people, I said, you know, we heard this morning about be still and know that I am God. I'm telling you, I have never been so still before or since. I don't know what happened at that time. All I know is this, that if the joy that I had in those moments is the joy that we're going to have in the kingdom of heaven, I want it. It's the kind of joy where your heart is just exuberant, just wanting to just rejoice and say, thank you, my Father, thank you, my God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And my advice to you is once in a while become so quiet that God can minister to you. Become so quiet that God can speak to you. But there's going to be fullness of joy. He will swallow up death and victory, says Isaiah 9, verse 8. 
And the Lord God will wipe away tears from off their faces and rebuke of his people shall he take away from off the earth for the Lord has spoken it. And it shall be said in that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Well, I remember at 19 when I accepted the Lord as my Savior and my heart was excited about salvation. And I sometimes feel rebuked that I don't always have that same measure of joy. But the fact is that when we are in that kingdom of heaven and Israel will be in the kingdom of heaven and peoples will be saved and in that glorious presence of the Lord, there will be such joy that there will be no one that will take a moment to criticize. There will be no one that will have a negative moment. Joel Osteen would be embarrassed to see what kind of joy there will be in the kingdom of heaven. That's your promise. That promise is coming for those who are in the kingdom. Satan will be bound. Healing will take place. (laughs) I'm sure that In this group of people, some of you have gone to a healing campaign at some time in your life. Why? Because you kind of believe that maybe if I can get healed, maybe I should go somewhere where they do this kind of stuff. Well, I don't have time to elaborate on that. But I want you to know this, that in verse 17 of Isaiah chapter 29, we read, Is it not yet a little while, and Lebanon shall be turned into a fruitful field? And the fruitful field shall be esteemed as a forest. And in that day shall the deaf hear the words of the book. And the eyes of the blind shall see out of obscurity and out of darkness. The meek also shall increase their joy in the Lord. And the poor among men shall rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. Was healing in the atonement? Well, I know that over the years... You know, we've taken strong objection to the leader of the Alliance Movement who taught many years ago that healing was in the atonement. And so charismatics have laid hold of that. And they say, if if you are a Christian, you will be healed. And I agree with that, but I just don't agree that they'll be healed in the immediate. Do you know that every person who has gone on to be with the Lord is instantly and immediately healed completely? There are no headaches. No heart conditions, there are no liver breakdowns, no kidney breakdowns, there's no spleen, nothing that is breaking down in your system because when you're in the presence of the Lord Jesus, you are whole, completely healed. And guess what did that? Calvary. When he shed his blood, that also took care of that illness that you and I face you hear today the pastor talking about this person is sick and this person is sick. I got an email yesterday from another church said, well, we're going to have a difficult time because our pastor is down sick with COVID and we've got some other people home with COVID, so we're going to have a hard time having service, although they did have a speaker for today. Uh, the fact is that sickness comes and sickness lays us up and sickness hurts us and just downright makes us feel sick. That's just about the way it seems to be, but healing is coming. Longevity of life. You want to reach 100? (laughs) Some people say no. 
I don't know what I want to reach. I want to reach whatever I have health to enjoy. <clears throat> That's what I want to reach. There'll be economic prosperity. You want to be rich? Let me ask you seriously. Do you want to be rich? Get into the kingdom of heaven. You want to be prosperous? Get into the kingdom of heaven. Hey, prosperity gospel at Bethel Baptist Church. Prosperity gospel in the kingdom. Don't be poor people in the kingdom. Oh, poor people will get into the kingdom, but when we're in the kingdom, we won't have poverty. Things will then be truly equal, not communistically equal, but truly equal, where there won't be any more poverty. There will be prosperity. Then uh, God will give rain of thy seed, and thou shalt sow the ground with all, and bread of the increase of the earth, and it shall be fat and plenteous, and that day shall thy cattle feed in large pastures, and on and on in Isaiah. There will be a one-world government. Do you believe that? A one-world government. You know, if there's anything the world is working for today is a one-world government. It's the new world order, and they want to orchestrate this so that ultimately they'll be able to have a leader, they'll be able to lead them, and guess what? They're going to get it. But they're not going to get what they bargained for. It's going to be horrendous when that person begins to reveal himself for what he is because he will actually be possessed by the devil himself. Adolf Hitler was closely connected to demonism in his horrific hatred for the Jew and Catholics and others that did not obey his orders. He killed not only six million Jews, but he killed more than six million other people besides that. He was a vindictive, crazy, satanically possessed individual, possessed by demons... But you get in the tribulation period, you get this one world leader that comes, he will be possessed by the devil himself because he knows he has but little time and so he's going to move in on a situation so that he can then take control and hold on to the control of the world. It has been his purpose always to control what God has created and it will be his purpose to do that. But I want you to know that the one world government that is coming in the kingdom era is not a government like Stalin, not a government like Hitler, not a government like the Antichrist will have. It will be the best government that you can imagine. It's not a government we vote in. It's a government that comes by God's order. It's a government that comes and God says, I will rule this world. He did so in the beginning even though there was satanic influence and interference. But in the one world government, Zechariah chapter 14, verse 9, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. Revelation 19, 16 says, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. This kingdom is greater than even the thousand-year kingdom on earth. The thousand-year kingdom 
is a part of the kingdom program. The greatness of the kingdom includes that, but it goes much beyond that. When the thousand-year period of the kingdom on earth where Satan is bound and the end of the thousand-year comes, as you know, Satan is loosed and then he travels towards Jerusalem to defy the saints and God destroys him before he even gets there. So it's no more war once the kingdom starts. But when that thousand-year kingdom comes to an end, there is the neatest neatest package of things that are going to happen. Both Isaiah and the New Testament say that he will make a new heaven and a new earth. The old shall pass away. Whatever that means, there is a creation of something brand new. Central to that will be the new Jerusalem. And there's much to be said about that. Now, when you think of the greatness of this kingdom, let me ask you this. Do you know how to get into it? What is the key that unlocks the door to this kingdom to let you into it? There was a man of the Pharisees. Nicodemus was his name. He came to Jesus by night, for he was afraid what others would say of him if he were to go and talk to Jesus, who was performing these miracles and making some wonderful promises to the people. He came to him and said, no man can do these things except God be with him. Jesus looked at Nicodemus and he said to him, verily I say unto you, Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And so I say to you, the key to getting into this kingdom is Jesus. It is Jesus in your heart. It is a person who has been born again, because Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, a man must be born again, because if he's not born again, he does not qualify to enter the kingdom. So it doesn't matter what you do to earn your way into the kingdom. You'll fall short. But if you will tonight, if you have not yet, if you will tonight say, Lord God, I believe that I want to be a part of the greatness of this kingdom. I believe I want to be a participant, but I also want to be present there. What can I do? And Jesus would say to you, accept me as your Savior. Repent of your sin. Trust me. And the key will be yours. You see, you can't buy the key anywhere else. You can't find the key anywhere else. The key is given to me. The key is given to you. The key is given to those of us who know the Lord Jesus by faith. If you have been born again by the Spirit of God, if you've been born again because Jesus Christ has become your Savior, you are headed towards that vastness, that greatness of the kingdom that shall never end. And it is, 
as Daniel 7 says, the greatness of the kingdom, which is from coast to coast, dominion to, it, it's, it's immeasurable, it's limitless, there is no end to it, and you become a participant, but also an inheritor of all of those wonderful things, all because Jesus Christ paid that price for you, and if you receive him to be your Lord and Savior, it's yours. Now, I've had something to do with sales, both in the insurance industry as well as in the real estate market. Never been a car salesman, but I've done some significant sales and some things. I don't want to ask you, is there a better sales line than to say that all of this is yours if you just take the key? But I want you to know it's not a sales line. It's a gift, just a simple gift. It is one beggar saying to another beggar, I have found the key. I know what it takes. I know where I'm going. I know what's going to happen next. I know this because the scripture tells us so. And so by faith, you receive the Lord Jesus Christ and he'll wash your sins away and make you his child and you'll be saved forevermore. Pastor? Let's stand tonight, heads bowed. Perhaps there's somebody here tonight that needs to come and receive that key. To know that you're on your way to heaven. It only comes through Jesus Christ. I quoted earlier John chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, but later on, Jesus would say, as he, I go to prepare a place for you, and he says, and the way you know, and Thomas said, how can we know the way? And he said, because I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father but by me. We must all come through Jesus Christ, through the cross of Calvary, because that's where the price was paid for our sins. Blood was shed. Maybe there's one here tonight that wants to make sure you're on your way to heaven. We can help you with that. We'll take a Bible and show you what it means to have eternal life. Just slip up your hand. Nobody's looking around. I won't embarrass you. What can we help you tonight? 